Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the BNCast. Not a podcast that has failed to find anything particularly negative in the community in this past week that we can actually take a shot at, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I'm joined by the great creator herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? I'm doing good. I feel really refreshed and rejuvenated because I've not been on Twitter all week. So it feels like I have Ooh. energy again because I'm not in the magic community. <laughs> um, yeah, otherwise I'm good. I've been playing a lot of Hades as we've been talking oh, yeah. off the show. <laughs> managed to finish my first run this week with the gloves, which was really, really cool. Um, nice. And I've just been grinding lots of darkness to try and unlock all the, the stuff on the mirror so I can just be all powered out and forget about that. Nice. In terms of magic, I've been doing my annual clear out of stuff I don't need. It's normally around this time of the year that there's a GP or a magic fest going on and I can just throw my stuff at a vendor. Can't do yeah. that this year due to COVID reasons. So I've given a lot of stuff to my LGS, get some store credit and just use that money to pick up modern staples and cards from Zendikar Rising. So I picked nice. up a set of Ruin Crabs, Cleansing Wildfires and Skyclave Apparitions because they all just seem really good for modern at the moment. All instant classics now. Yeah, all yeah. really good. Otherwise, in terms of content, I have an article about Demir Rogues in modern, which is up now. So I would check that out. Ooh, good stuff. Yeah. How about good you? Stuff. How are you doing? Not bad. I, too, have been playing an awful lot of Hades. Uh, no less than two hours after... Emma messaged me to say that she had finished her first run. Uh, I had finished mine. <laughs> if anyone's played Hades, you'll know how ridiculous this statement is. Uh, I did it with the gun. Uh, <laughs> I've only tried the gun once and I was just like, nope. Just no. You know what happened to me? I tried the gun one time and was like, this is garbage. And I went right back to using the spear. But then I, like a day later, I was like, yeah, maybe I was too hard on the gun. Let me try it out. And I got like the explosive shotgun rounds and just cakewalked through the whole game. Just right through, just right to the end, first time. It was absolutely crazy. And then I did it again like two hours later with the bow, which nice. works more like a shotgun than the gun does, which makes no sense. But what? yeah, <laughs> what's called the spray that you do with the special. Oh, yeah. It's basically like a big shotgun blast. Yeah, um, um, I've been very close with the spear. I enjoy the spear the most, but I don't think I've quite figured it out yet. Cannot same. get on with the shield love nor money i feel like i'm missing something with that but everyone's like oh the shield's really good like it's really really fun to play with and i'm just like i don't know what you're saying that i'm not but yeah i really struggle with the shield yeah there are a couple of the aspects that are really really good Mm. there's like the zeus one it throws like a spinning blade across the map really slowly but it's not the shield itself. Normally with the special, you throw the shield and you have to wait for it to come back before you can attack. Yeah. This actually just throws out like a big blade and you can just keep attacking while it's oh, happening. That's quite cool. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's great. Nice. But this is not a Hades podcast. <laughs> we should probably move on. I don't want to move on. I want to talk more about it. But yeah, if you haven't played it yet, go play it. I've only completed the two runs so far, but I keep getting new little nuggets of story and character development every single time I play. And I love it i love all the characters except for theseus i hate Let's theseus. Not them. yeah but yeah it keeps bringing me back for one more run i love it so much i've also been playing i mentioned it last week genshin impact kind of feels like breath of the wild yes. or so i've been told because i've never actually played breath of the wild because i grew up in a house with the ps1 i didn't have any <laughs> nintendo stuff there i got a Game Boy color when i was like 14 or something yeah. i don't know like Never really got introduced to Zelda until my mid-twenties and like I didn't have the rose-tinted glasses that everyone else had. So I was like, well, this is not very good. It's okay, you know. <laughs> but I'm sure like people would feel the same if they like tried the original Crash Bandicoot for the first time and be like, wait, this isn't 
anywhere near as good as people said it was. So I'm the opposite. So I was very fortunate in my in my upbringing where I had two older brothers who had all the consoles. So mm. I could have I could cherry pick from whatever I wanted to play with. And um, I was more nice. of a Nintendo girl growing up. So okay. I played a lot of Zelda, a lot of Mario, all that sort of stuff. And I was into Sony stuff, but mainly for the JRPG, so stuff like Final Fantasy. Um, oh, yeah. Stuff like Crash Bandicoot and Spyro just flew over my head as a kid. And I played them more recently as an adult. And I'm like, I don't get why this is popular. Because it's just all like polygons and stuff. And it's horrendously outdated. Yeah. I'm just like, I can't see the appeal here. But I've, I've clearly missed the boat. Yeah. In, in my opinion, you see the remakes of like the Crash Bandicoots or the Spyros or whatever. And they look exactly as you remembered playing them when you were a kid mm. but then when you go back and look at the originals you're like nah this is some sort of joke this isn't how it looked it was way better than this it's like playing so. final fantasy 7 for the first time and it's not the remake like the original iteration and it's just all yeah. like square hands and pointy heads <laughs> and stuff and yeah, yeah it doesn't age well <laughs> no no not even not even a little i'll still go back and play them because they're great i love them you know but slightly off topic but yeah genshin impact really really fun like I said, it has some gambling elements in order to get new characters and stuff like you're you're introduced to a few characters at the start. You get to play around with them. They have different elements that they can use and that kind of thing. But there are gambling elements in order to like, you know, you, you spend this in-game currency and you get a percentage chance to get specific new characters or whatever. Yeah. To be honest, it's not too dissimilar to booster packs really like in the grand scheme of things you're still paying money and not guaranteed to get what you're looking for but with that said it's also not necessary in order to have a good time like i've been playing it for like 15 20 hours now at this point and i've invested no money nor has it prodded me to give them money i've just been enjoying a good game oh, nice. so for, for literally zero money that is fantastic you might even say it stonks emma it is stonks i've seen a little bit of it and it really reminds me of the tales of games with the animation and the colors it reminds me of like mm. the tale series and i'm a big fan of those so as a jrpg yeah. nerd so i might have to check it out yeah it's real nice magic wise though i have been updating my commander decks with all the cards from zendikar rising this set has been insane for commander it's great. like there are so many insta staples in this set like nearly all of the flip lands even things that i didn't think about for a while until i like reassessed them like song mad treachery like the five mana threaten effect mm. that has a land on the back like that's actually just really good free stonks it's literally free real estate it's on a land it's free real estate <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like i added like salon division and Jwari disruption to my talran deck Ooh. because again they're basically just free includes yeah you know, a four spike and an even better impulse in that deck. And then Teshar got like the relic vial, the, yes. the one that whenever a creature dies, if you control a cleric, which Teshar is, it drains everybody for one. Like, that's insane. That's cool. You just, that's another way to win with loops. Yeah. And, you know, I just replaced the planes with like a Shajiri shelter because mm. why not? Like, it's just free protection. I think that's probably and, one of the best white cards to come from the set, along with Skyclave oh, yeah. Apparition. I think it's really yeah, underrated. For sure. And then I picked up a Valakut Awakening because I'm considering turning my Gavi Nest Warden into a Bralin and Shrabraz wheels Ooh. deck, wheels which would be pretty nice. You, yeah. could, you could say it's really good. It is really, really good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the other little bit of magic news, I have a new card Ooh. organizer. I'm going to hold it up to the screen so that I can show Emma. Unfortunately, because this is an audio podcast, you won't be able to see this, but... It's a box from Sleeves. My LGS does the thing where you can get a playset of all the commons and uncommons from a set, and it's 25 euros. That's unreal. 
That's so, so good. Like, you get four of every single card, excluding the rares and mythics. It just means you don't have to go and open boosters and, like, look for, like, bits here and there when you need them and stuff. You just have them. They're just there. And since I was building a lot of new commander decks recently, the hunter card boxes, like the, the Ultra Pro ones and stuff, they have a card divider in there, obviously, to separate out, like, tokens or sideboard or whatever. But when I build in commander decks, I don't have a lot that need tokens. And when I do have tokens, I sleeve them up in a different color. So they're very easy to tell apart. So I don't really need the dividers. So I took them out and I put them into the little organizer box so I can split it out into into Wooberg and Colorless and mm. Lands and that kind of thing. It's super, super handy. So as a brewer, I sit around here with cards strewn across the table all day, every day. And it just gets worse and worse and worse until like the table nearly collapses under the weight. <laughs> and then I have to go and do something about it, you know? Yeah. Whereas now... Every time I'm done brewing something and like I've cards lying around, I'm like, okay, let's just separate these out into color, put them into this box. And then when this box is full, I'll just dump them into like the other storage boxes. Nice. It's super handy. I don't know how I've gone this long without an organizer, honestly. <laughs> As a brewer, it, it feels like it's, it's an auto-include, your arsenal of tools. I'm quite particular in how I organize my stuff. So as I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, I have a modern collection. So for stuff like modern playables and staples... I have, you know, the small four pocket folders that you get, like the Ultimate Guard ones. I have seven of those, one of each colour, and then I've got Artifact and Multicolour, then I've got one with lands in it, and they're all alphabetised in the colour pairings and stuff like that, and they're all, like, double-sleeved as well, because a lot of them are foil, so I don't want them to curl. And, yeah, it's just... It took me ages, but it's it's really, really nice just to have everything organised, and I'm a fairly OCD when it comes to Magic cards, because if I'm spending a lot of money on them, I want to look after them, so... I'm a little bit different from you in the sense that I don't have many very expensive cards. I Mm. used to, but then I was like, well, what's the point? Like, I can just spend my money on, like, you know, other hobbies and stuff. Which, you know, like, do with your money what you will. Like, there is no right or wrong thing here. But, so yeah, I have a lot of stuff that I can pretty much just throw into boxes and be like, ah, it's fine. There are some cards that I will you know, stick a little protector on them or something or a sleeve or some, put them into maybe a different box that I mm. don't just jostle around the place or whatever, you know. So on the whole, things are generally well kept. But yeah, it's good to have things in order. Things yes. organized when you are like brewing or collecting or whatever. It feels, it just feels nice. Yeah, it's appealing as well. It's not like all over the place and you're like, oh crud, where have I put that? You know, Inquisition of Kozilek, I had it somewhere. Oh, okay, it's in my folder. I know where it is sort of thing and I can forget about it. I will admit, prior to getting organizers and stuff, I spent more time looking for cards than I did building decks. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I gotta say, this is the longest intro we've ever done. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about, this but is... it's a magic. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's also a podcast, you know, we're supposed to be able to talk about stuff, you know, like the one thing I hate about podcasts, right, are the ones that take like 20 minutes of talking absolute, off the wall, not relevant nonsense, that spend like the first 25 minutes talking crap. And then they're like, anyway, moving on to this completely other thing that has nothing to do with what we just talked about. No, don't. There are a couple of magic podcasts that come to my mind, but I won't name names because Mm. that would be unprofessional, but there are a couple that come to mind. (laughs) It's not professional (laughs) of me to mention who it is, but it is professional of me to mention that they exist. Yes. (laughs) You probably listen to them, so I might not need to say it. So, (laughs) Well, I don't listen Uh to them anymore. Put it that way. (laughs) The the topics have put me off. Um, Speaking of topics, we actually do have one today. Um, (gasps) We are revisiting our $100 modern challenge, but not for a specific color this time. We are looking at artifacts. 
there are a lot of artifacts in modern so many within modern's scope or realm like the sets that it spans there have been multiple artifact blocks and then within every single set there are multiple artifacts that are playable within modern as well so the choices that are there are enormous and there's so many to go through there are some really really good affordable options as well and Mm. I think that's the whole point of this episode is to be able to just like highlight some of the best and most important ones that pretty much every player should probably have in their collection. Yeah, absolutely. The beauty about running artifacts, especially artifacts that don't have a color identity, is that you can slam these in any deck in modern, like in any yeah. color. They take up a good chunk of sideboards in general, like because they mm-hmm. do a particular thing that you want to stop. So a lot of good artifacts will go into later. So a lot of good artifacts are really good at hitting the graveyard, for example. Yeah. So you want these answers to deal with stuff like Dredge or like Death Shadow, for example. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, a lot of these artifacts are pretty affordable because they've been reprinted into the ground just thanks to corsets because they just want these to be evergreen in Standard and Pioneer, which also helps yeah. in Modern because the graveyard is much more prevalent in the format compared to like Standard and so forth. Yeah, definitely more of a risk um, mm. that you need to take into account when you're building in Modern or playing in Modern because... Sure, there are some like graveyard based self mill decks and stuff in like Pioneer and everything, but like they don't have actual factual dredge cards that will just suddenly vomit the deck into the graveyard. And then you have like 18 power on board that you have to deal with on turn two, and you're like, oh, I should have thought to use that cathartic reunion. <laughs> there was a dredge style deck in Pioneer, but it was nowhere yeah. near as explosive to its modern counterpart. That's it. Yeah, like you still definitely want graveyard hate against it, but like in modern, you need graveyard hate or you're just going to die. Because fetch lands, so, a lot of it's down to fetch lands. Yeah, for sure. So there are some good things, like we said, that you can you can use artifacts for, like that, like graveyard hate and other niche hate pieces and stuff. There are some downsides to them as well, though. Like they can be hated on very very easily. Like if you have say like a graph diggers cage out to prevent someone from collect accompanying, they can just you know blow it up. And then, like, your whole plan's gone. When it comes to modern sideboards, so a lot of them are made up of artifacts that do a particular thing against the deck, and then you have some that is artifact hate just to blow up the artifacts that are going to come in against you in game two. So stuff like mm. Nature's Claim, like Collector Oof's a really good hoser if you're creature-based. Um, yeah. You've got Pillage, you've got a braid. you have all these, like, really good red-green cards that are really good at hosing artifacts. Yeah, for sure. And then not also including stuff like Stony Silence and Karn as well. Like, it can be very easy to hate on them, Um, which I think is one of the reasons why we don't really see many artifact centric decks now that Mox, Opal and Astrolabe aren't in the format. There's no real reason to pull you towards it. No, I see artifacts as, I know it's not a colour, but it's a support colour, quote unquote, in modern because as I said earlier they're really easy just to slam in any deck and they're just very good at what they do and they're also quite cheap in terms of mana cost and financially yeah so let's break down a couple of the different types of artifacts that we're talking about you'll probably notice most of these can live in the majority of sideboards because that's like you said that's where you're going to find a lot of these so they're just going to live in sideboards they can be brought in they're just nice colorless low opportunity cost includes into a lot of decks take for example like we said graveyard hate some of the best graveyard hate in modern is just all artifact based like relic of progenitus the most popular one at the moment soul guide lantern just to be able to like snipe arrows out of the the graveyards and then maybe just draw a card because 
the rest of the graveyard that your opponent might have might just do nothing. You know, they might not actually have any need for it. So if you just get rid of the euro, you can just continue on your way and then like draw a card off of it later. And then you've got stuff like, say, Nile Spellbomb is used a lot in Jund because you want to keep some things in your yard for growing goifs. You can also draw a card off of it if you pay a black, but you'll also deal with any problems that your opponent might be doing. And then if you want to be like super, super mana efficient, you've got stuff like Tormod's Crypt. So you can just pay zero and exile a, a graveyard. Like you won't draw a card off it like you will with Spellbomb or Relic, but it's cheap. So. Yes, it's cheap. And it just was recently reprinted in a corset as well. So yeah, very good answer. Yeah. And I think one of the best ones at the moment is Soul Guide Lantern, followed probably by Graph Digger's Cage. Yeah. You kind of have to be careful with that one, though, because if you're running, say, like, Uros yourself or Snapcasters or something, you don't really want to be running Graph Digger's Cage. Yeah, it's a bit awkward yeah. if you're, like, a devoted Devastation deck and you, for instance, running, like, the Khan Wishboard yeah. because you want to go that way. And you go, like, oh, I've got this Graph Digger's Cage. I'm going to deal with whoever. But then it really screws you over because you can't finale Devastation for your combo <laughs> and you kind of lose this dimension and you just become this really bad creature aggro deck. Yeah. So yeah, just be a bit, little bit smart on what you bring in because it might hurt you. So stuff like Relic of Progenitus isn't seeing that much play anymore just because it hits both graveyards. Yeah. And a lot of the times your graveyard is really, really relevant at the moment. So that's seeing a lot less play. But Soul Guide Lantern just has this really good utility where you can just, as you said, you can just cherry pick threats out of the graveyard and trade yeah. it away later on. That's it. Like I've, I've replaced my one of... Relic of Progenitus in the main board of Mono Blutron with Soul Guide Lantern now because yeah. it just it's better in more matchups, yes. you know. And I do run a um, Torrential Gear Hulk because nice. I love the card. I just want to have one. I don't care if it gets hit by musical disputes, whatever, you know. But I do love that, and I do want to be able to you know hit a couple of spells in my graveyard um, with the Gear Hulk. So yeah, extending this, it's not an, it's not an artifact, but this is why Cling to Dust is so popular at the moment, just because it can just yeah. hit this one thing, and if it does, you get a card out of it, and you can gain some life. It's just that little bits of value because you want to cherry pick the threats, and not it's not like modern two or three years ago where you just wanted to clean the graveyard i remember playing relic and scred and just wiping the graveyard which is absolutely fine whereas now it's just like you kind of have to see it as an extension of your deck and you can't completely remove those that's it and then you mentioned as well karen the great creator he's he's pretty big when it comes to, to artifacts because being able to have a wishboard the next set of things that we're going to talk about it's very very wide reaching despite its name which is niche hate like it's very particular hate pieces that you can often find in current wishboards because they are good to have access to in game one yes. provided you're okay with casting them say like after turn four or five or thereabouts mm. you know so stuff like damping sphere or torpor orb or you know pithing needle effects that kind of thing they're all really good to have Actually, one that's really popular with Karn the Great Creator, despite not being super, super budget at the moment, is Ensnaring Bridge. Yeah, it's a really good one. It did get a reprint recently, so it is cheaper. It can be still expensive on the on the budget scale, but it's a lot more affordable than it was before. Yeah, Ensnaring Bridge is just really good against creature matchups. So if you're playing against like humans or even Dredge is a good one, just mm. slamming this, unloading your hand, and it's just like they can't attack you, which is really big. For sure. And then you have other like things that if you want to say like protect something, you can go get a spell guide out of your board, or if you want to slow your opponent down, maybe they're doing storm or something, you can use like a thorn of amethyst if you want, or a damping sphere, like we said. You know, there's there are loads of different options 
particularly yes. for a wishboard. We'll get further into a wishboard later for sure. Mm. Um, we we have a little piece on that. Yes. But yes, yes, there are loads of different like little niche hate pieces that you can get. And we did mention that some of the best artifacts that you can use in the format are kind of expensive. And the reason for that is because like they're just... They're, they're unique effects. Like if you look at all the expensive ones, like you said, like I know you said it's it's cheaper now, but it's still not cheap. In Snaring Bridge, you look at say like Trinisphere, Chalice of the Void, you look at Crucible of Worlds. Like these are all incredible cards that have absolutely no good replacement because they just don't exist. These are like weird pieces that like they, they won't print other versions of this ever again, but I'd say. No, um, it's really difficult because you can't really print these cards in a standard set because they'd be too yeah. good. And extending that, I, I know we're going to go into the Calm Wishboard uh, soon, but you've got stuff like Walking Blister and Worm Coil Engine, which are really, really mm. good creatures that are great to get off a Calm Wishboard that are very difficult to replace on a budget because they're just really good at what they do. For sure, yeah. One of the other things as well is utility. There's so many different utility pieces that... Mm. Say if you're running a mono blue deck and you need to be able to like wipe some stuff, Ratchet Bomb's not amazing, but it actually works, mm. you know, and, th- and that's pretty important. Like if you can stall a game out long enough for a Ratchet Bomb to be useful, it's a good card, you know. Ratchet Bomb on one's normally fine in a lot of cases, especially yeah, in modern. For sure. Yeah, there, there are loads of weird utility ones. Like you have all the ones that give you like Hexproof, like Witchbane Orb and uh, Orbs of Warding and that kind of thing. Yeah. There's just so many weird options. I've got a uh, a Witchbane Orb in my Khan Wishboard just to respect the the storm yeah. and the burn matchups because it's just a good answer to have. And yeah, the and absolutely. the important clause of all curses fall off you that can be relevant <laughs> if you're playing against Mill and they have a fraying sanity. <laughs> oh, because <laughs> that happened oh. once to me before, and they're like, "What?" I'm like, yeah, just read the card. <laughs> weird Innistrad text for you here. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It's a shame that. Ruin Crab gets around Witchbane Orb now, though. It does, yeah. A lot of the mill doesn't target now, which is a shame. But yeah. extending that, if we're going even further with the utility, you can run like an Ixler Immortality, which just shuffles your graveyard back into your deck. <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you really hate mill and you really want an answer, you can just calm Wishboard for an Elixir and shuffle it all back in. That's really good, actually. I didn't think about that. <laughs> mill is pretty popular at the moment as well. Oh, yeah, because Ruin Crab's great and Cacophony is like really, really good. So... If Did you, we settle, by the way, on whether we're still calling it Mill or if we're calling it A-Crab? I want to call it A-Crab because that just, sounds, right. that just sounds better. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, A-Crab is really popular at the moment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, Ixor Immortality is a really good option if you don't want to run, like, an Emrakul or, like, one of the old Eldrazi Titans. You can just have this one-mana, two-mana artifact that gives you another lifeline. And I think you're getting some life off it as well. Yeah. Then also, if you want to increase the consistency of your deck without having to add, say, like blue for cantrips and that kind of thing, you can add the eggs, you know, Chromatic Sphere, mm. Chromatic Star, Mishra's Bauble, that kind of thing, particularly if you are running Lurus yes. as your Me. companion. I hear, I hear Lurus and Mishra's Bauble are really, really good together. Very, very good. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so I think the best Death Shadow deck at the moment, a lot of people have been saying, is the Rakdos Death Shadow one which is using Scourge of Skyclaves as well as Death Shadow as his main threat. So it's kind of like 8-Shadow now. Yeah. Is that, is that what we're calling it? 8-Shadow? Yeah, why not? All right. <laughs> <laughs> and it runs Lurus. And its card advantage is the Mishra's Wobbled. Hmm. So just looping them with Lurus like that is very, very nice to have. And 
they, they're also nice to be able to give you a little bit of information. Like you can see the next card your opponent's going to draw. You can check and see the next card that you're going to draw. If it's going to be worth doing, then you can crack a fetch or whatever. It's really nice to have. If we're mentioning 8 Shadow, uh, it runs Bomac Curry now, which is a really great artifact creature because buying that back off of Lurus is pretty sweet as well. Suck like a one mana because you, you just draw so many cards, you just unload your hand and you draw more. And it's just, it's really yeah. good in that deck because you just want to push through so much damage to turn on the Scourge. But yeah, that's, that's a really cool artifact that might be worth picking up at some point as well. Especially if you're that's in red. That's an interesting one, yeah. Interesting, indeed. Mm. Similarly, if you don't want to run blue, you run eggs to increase consistency. But also, if you want to ramp, but you don't want to add green, artifacts have you covered too. So you've got stuff like the Talismans. Lutron runs like Talisman of Dominance. Mox Amber is run in Wurza. Mindstone is sometimes run in Etron, though I think that has been replaced with Maze Mind Tome lately. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah, just because it's just card draw, and card draw is so important in that deck. Yeah, absolutely. And then the card that most people forget about when they think of ramp and modern is Aethervile, but it, ramp. it really is ramp. It gives you one mana for on the first turn that after you play it, two mana on the next one, three mana on the following one. That's ramp. You spent one mana on this. Yeah, like, it's a really good card. It's expensive, but if you're looking to play yeah. any sort of creature t- tribal deck, they're really worth picking up because they will keep their value and you'll get that play out of them. I should pick up some Aetherfiles yeah. at some point because I kind of have all of Death and Taxes and Humans without realising it. So I'm just like, I just kind of need four Aetherfiles <laughs> to make this work. So I might pick them up at some point on a side note. Yeah, nice. There are some combo pieces as well that are artifacts, though that's not necessarily always a good thing. Like, sure, you can use, like, a card board to go and get them if you wanted to, if you somehow built your deck that way. But sometimes it can be bad with, like, Stony Silence and stuff, like, say, like, Top Tier Foundry and that kind of thing. Stony Silence kind of shuts it off. Mm. But with that said, it's still a really good combo to have, particularly with Urza, the sword that make Top Tier Foundry one and stuff, so... Mm. Even, um, like, Liquid Metal Coating's a really good one if you're running the Khan Wishboard as well. And also, you know, we had Mycosin Flatus at one point, which was a, was, was a really good, oh. good one. <laughs> Don't remind me. Don't remind me. The only time, the only time I lost to Tron while I was playing Twiddlestorm was when they somehow managed to stay alive long enough to get a Trinosphere. And they were like, ha, we're going to lock you out. And then I went on your end step. I'm going to tap the Trinosphere with Twiddle. Mm. Because it taps any permanent or untaps any permanent. And Trinosphere says as long as it's untapped, mm. things cost three. And they were like, oh God. And like, I saw it was my friend Brian and his eyes widened and was like, oh God, he's going to untap and slaughter me. And then I fizzled, got him to like two. And then he untapped and Karn wishboarded for a Microsynth Lattice and just slammed it and was like, you are go. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I just got locked out. Uh, I, I did not know that takes on Trinosphere though. I did not know it has to be untapped. That I completely yeah. missed. I, I missed it as well until I picked up the card again and went, what's the wording on this again? I've forgotten how this works exactly. Is it my one mana spells cost three? Wait a minute. If it's tapped or untapped and I look at my hand and like every spell in my hand <laughs> taps or untaps something and I'm like, yeah, let's, let's go. go. Nice. So, Yeah. <laughs> Um, other things I have lost to include Platinum Empyrean and Platinum Angel. They are very nice things. They they both say basically you can't lose the game, essentially. Mm. I know Platinum Empyrean says your life total can't change, but like, let's be same real, effect. it's basically the same yeah, thing. I also like uh, Phyrexian Metamorph. 
I like it in mm. the cyborg in Tron just because it's really cool to copy a worm coil engine or copy yeah. just copy someone else's fret is also just quite good because it's got a lot mm. of utility and the blue you're not paying the friction mana for it with actual mana you're paying life for it and it's yep. also an artifact it's just a really good versatile answer to have and it's just got reprinted as well so it's super duper cheap yeah for sure and then you've also got i think the other main one that we can kind of talk about is the counter synergy things in mm. artifacts like there were a lot of those kind of things when it came to like affinity with say like steel overseer and arcbound ravager and stuff there's still those hardened scales decks kind of floating around somewhere in some cases that are running like the ozoliths and and that kind of thing mm. but there's a surprising amount there actually for plus one plus one counters you got artbound ravager um, as well and and walking ballista and hangerback walker. walker i missed these that are kind of that the, deck was cool yeah it's it's still going around. It's just not as good. Kind of, not as explosive, I think. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed it. I think it was one of my favourite Mox Opal decks because it wasn't busted. It was just really, really good and it had this really cool theme. And I always felt when I played Hard and Affinity that I had lethal, but I haven't figured it out yet just because there's so yeah. much you could do. <laughs> you, you probably had lethal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, oh, I think I have it, but it's just like, there's a lot to work with. It's a fun deck, though. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of my favorite Karn wishboard decks has probably got to be Dice Factory. Ooh, that that's a, spicy. It's a dumbass deck. If in, if no one has seen this before, it's basically where like you're playing stuff like Everflowing Chalice and Astral Cornucopia, and you're running things like Core Tapper and Surge Node to put charge counters on stuff. And that's what Everflowing Chalice and Cornucopia take. They take charge counters so you're essentially kind of proliferating and putting charge counters on them to make them tap for more and more mana and then you're also just running the tron lands because well nearly your entire deck is colorless so just run the tron lands because sometimes you'll end up with tron and just have way more mana anyway without trying Mm. and you just run all this stuff and then you just play big dumb stuff like you know just play a Sundering Titan or something, or like lock your opponents out with like a bunch of Chalice of the Voids. Or, you know, like I said, it runs Karn Wishboards and stuff, so you can go get like a Worm Coil or you can go get whatever you want. There are like loads of infinite combos. You can run stuff like uh, Inventor's Fair to go and tutor up stuff as well, which is neat. There's just loads of weird, weird interactions and stuff with that deck. It can be built surprisingly cheap as well. I've seen some builds that are like 300 odd dollars. Which, you know, it is expensive in the grand scheme of things, but for modern. Yeah, I remember back in the day when we had Magic Fest coverage and Magic Fest events. I remember just watching coverage one weekend and yes. just saw in the corner like this Astral Cornucopia deck. And I'm like, what is this? And I just saw the guy go off. <laughs> I'm just like, I love modern because you just got this ingenuity and creativity that people could just come yeah. up with the most wildest stuff and just do really well with it. For sure, yeah. I really want to play around with the, with the Dice Factory deck um for a little bit and see plus the see name's really cool dice factory just sounds fun yeah. doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> just be sure to bring a lot of dice like yeah. if, if it's in the name you, you know you need to spend more money probably on the dice than the deck itself <laughs> but yeah so they're they're kind of the main reasons to be running artifacts like the main different options and stuff that are available in modern there are definitely more fringe options and stuff as well but there's some cards that do play really nicely with artifacts, though, that we yes. should probably cover. They're not artifacts, but they're worth mentioning. You've probably seen like a lot of these already. You know, stuff like War of Invention and Emery and Metallic Rebuke. They all kind of just go into well, Warza decks, essentially. Yeah, you know? they're still around. They are. They're not top meta decks, but like, who cares about that anymore, right? 
<laughs> yeah, the thing is with modern now is kind of anybody's format. You can just play anything and do really well with it, which is quite good because it means it's quite open. But yeah, there isn't no mm. super busted Urza deck anymore, which is quite nice because Astrolabe is now banned. Yeah, that's Actually. that's a good thing. Yes, for sure. Agreed. Usually, with a lot of our episodes, we give kind of like sample decks and. I do actually have one. I didn't. I didn't even actually run this past you, Emma. But I have got a hundred dollar Urzalus Wurza deck. That sounds interesting. So, What's it do? It's essentially Wurza, except it doesn't have the explosiveness that Urza has. If right. that makes sense. So yeah. you still have all the stuff like Goblin Engineer to go and put your you know Sword of the Meeks in the bin and that kind of thing. And it has Topter Foundries and it has Wurf Invention, some Galvanic Blast for removal, that kind of thing. And one of your main sort of win conditions is the Topter Foundry Sword the Meat kind of thing. But you've also got stuff like Psymaster Thopterists and stuff as well. And you can just close it out with a couple of Galv Blasts to the face and that kind of thing too. But the idea is that you're able to tutor up a bunch of different things. Like you've got a Damping Sphere in the main. You've got like a Sorcerer Spyglass in the main to go and tutor that up to shut off some things. So it's got some lock pieces. Yeah. It also, I did, within the $100, manage in the main deck to fit one ensnaring bridge that you can wear for. Oh, that's which cool. I think if you don't include that, you probably should just not play the deck full stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the thing that will keep you alive the most in the deck. But, uh, but the mana base is like unbelievably smooth mm. because so many cards are just colorless. Like you don't need to pay any particular mana for them. So you can run stuff like Field of Ruin and everything in there mm-hmm. to help disrupt your opponent's mana. The $100 Urzalus Wurza decklist will be available on our Patreon at the Cheering Fanatic level. That's the entry level over at patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast. You can go check it out there if you would like to look at the list, support us or both. But I believe you have an artifact based deck as well. Am I right? Yeah. So it's gone through some iterations because Mox Opal is now banned. (laughs) But... Uh, so it's mostly artifact based, but it's got some white in it as well. It, it's normally called Loxabots. So oh, yeah. it runs loads of cheap creatures. So you have your Memnites, your Ornithopters, Signal Pests, and uh, sometimes Bomar Carriers if you want to splash for the red. And then you just run a Venerated Loxodon. So Venerated Loxodon is a five mana, four, four. And, but you can convoke it. And if you use creatures to convoke it, you put a plus one, plus one counter on them. So you can make this massive threat on like turn two, turn three. You can run stuff like All Deck Glitters as well, which just mm. it gives you plus one, plus one for each artifact you control and run something like a Ginger Brute, which is essentially has pseudo unblockable unless the creature has haste. Yeah. And it's just a really cool way just to have this low to the ground sort of artifact aggro deck with all that glitters. And you can even run Tempered Steel if you just want to go a bit fancy as well, because that card's really great <laughs> as well. But yeah, the list is like 50 bucks, so that will be on the patron tier as well if you just want like a really cheap artifact aggro deck. And also you get some really cool removal in like Path to Exile and you get Dispatch as well, which is like Path to Exile for artifacts. It's really, really fun and it's just blisteringly quick. So Yeah, I've seen some builds as well take it in a different direction and run stuff like Talia and everything as well to be a little more taxing if that's a better suit for your metagame. Like that's really nice way to build it too. Yeah, I've seen a few lists that run like Ghost Quarters and Leona Arbiters and just have like this death and taxes kind of sub theme. Yeah. But you can go all in on the aggro as well with your Ginger Brutes. And Ginger Brutes great. It's one of my favorite cards. So why not? You want to run it? That is it. Mm. So, yes, you can find that over on the Patreon as well. Now, with all this talk about artifacts and how they're great and everything, we do have to address the fact that it's very easy to hate on them too. Mm. so we should probably talk about how to get around that and 
there's sort of two real categories that you can fit these into uh, continuous hate or single use hate, I guess. The single use hate being things like a braid or wilt or nature's claim, that kind of thing. There's no real way on how to beat them. They just blow up a piece and just deal with it and move on. Just play more problem cards so that your opponent is forced into using these resources on something. Mm. It's probably the best advice that we can possibly give for that. Like if someone points in a braid at something, I don't know, counter it if you can, or just accept it. Like (laughs) not much more to it, but the continuous effects, they're the troublesome ones for a lot of decks. So they will be things like stony silence, collector roof and opposing Karn, the great creators, because Mm. they basically just turn off all your artifacts. The important thing about Karn that is one sided as well, where stony silence is, you know, both sides. So you can still run artifacts in a Khan deck and be fine, but just because the fact it's one-sided is what makes it so good. Yeah, it's these ones that you need to look out for if you're going particularly heavy on artifacts. So for dealing with stuff like Sony Sons, just blow it up. Use the pointed removal that I just mentioned, like Wilt or Nature's Claim or whichever. Collector Roof is the same on a body, so just bolt it or Galve Blast it or whatever. Yeah, it's much easier to remove because it's a t- I believe it's a TT, so anything can pretty yeah. much kill it. For sure. And then Karn, I don't know, turn your creature sideways, I guess. <laughs> there are nice pieces that you can use to get around these effects, though, if you don't want to run those kind of things or you don't have access to them or you want like a sideboard contingency plan and stuff like install artifact. So, oh, I can't activate it anymore, but it's a 5-5 five, five instead. So I'll just break your face with this instead. It's OK. Yeah, I really like the Pioneer deck. Yeah, is it install is good fun. All right. And then you've you've other stuff as well that make use of your artifacts, like the Antiquities War is a favorite of mine. Mm, it's just four card. mana, go find two artifacts and then beat them down for a turn. Like it's probably going to win the game unless they find some way to deal with it before it hits the, the third chapter on the saga. So yeah, it's, it's really good. Another one, Giraper Ether Grid, where you can tap two artifacts to have a deal one damage to any target. That's quite nice as well. Saw a lot of playing old school affinity cyborgs back in the day, yep. just as a way to, you know, kill people without combat. Yeah, absolutely. It's also quite nice if you want to run these and say like where's the decks and stuff in the sideboard as ways to just be able to deal with smaller creatures and stuff. This can be really good too. Um, not the most effective thing in the world, but it does work. Now, let's talk about Karn Wishboards. Karn the Great Creator. It is possible to have a $100 Karn the Great Creator wishboard package. So that's four Karn the Great Creator plus X number of cards for your sideboard. Depends on how big you want to make the wishboard. So it's worth talking about, I'd say, first of all, not all decks are going to be the same when we get to this, when we're talking about this. You know, some decks might have like really good matches against graveyard decks and stuff. So you might be able to go down on the number of hate pieces that you have for graveyards in the sideboard to wish for in game one. I think what's super important to point out as well is that Karn board setups is not a magical band-aid that will just fix all of the problems in your deck. Like if you're like, oh, I, I just have a terrible game against Dredge. I know what I'll do. I will put in four Karn the Great Creator and I'll put a bunch of Graveyard Hate in the sideboard so I can go tutor for it. Just remember that you're casting these on like turn four or five. So if you have a bad matchup against Dredge, maybe either accept the bad matchup, build a different deck, or main deck some graveyard hate yeah. like you can't just go oh four Karn and well, that's probably fine right yeah dredge will probably have you almost dead if not unlethal by turn four so yeah there are reasons to run Karn boards though yes know, the package is quite tight it's quite handy to just be able to go i want my deck to have access to these things in game one 
Uh, or, you know, it could just be a case of, I, I hate sideboarding, so let's just not do that. <laughs> like, whatever you want to do. You know, current wishboards can probably help you in some way. Um, just not necessarily shore up all of your bad matchups. You yeah, know. not every deck. As much as you can run Khan in every deck, it should not be run in every deck because it does a very particular thing. And like, although the Khan wishboard's great, um, it can be quite demanding on the mana because yes, you've got to pay four mana for a calm, but you've also got to pay the mana for whatever artifact you've got out from the sideboard as well. So that's why strategies such as Amulet Titan and Tron really, really good because they can make yep. they can accelerate on mana way early. So they can minus the Khan, play it and minus it, and then grab something and and still play that card as well. Yep. So I play a lot of Tron, so I, I run the Khan wishboard in Mono Green Tron, and in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. it's just like. Yes, I have a terrible burn and prowess matchup. I accepted that. But I've got a one coil engine in my sideboard just as a guarantee to have a lifeline against prowess. Yes, it might not win me the game, but it gives me it just gives me an opportunity to try and pull back into the game. It's yeah, it's definitely something that you need to decide. You know, it it might be all well and good to be able to like slam a Karn on turn four and go get a piece out of your sideboard. Yeah. But if you're going to just die to most decks on the following turn before you have a chance to play that piece. Uh, maybe it's not the best fit for your deck. Yeah. But Emma, Hello. you have played with more Karn wishboards than I have. So I will entrust you with the expertise on this matter. Yeah. I will let you run through the considerations and that kind of thing to put into a Karn wishboard. Yeah. So the first thing you want to look at when making a Karn wishboard is to figure out how many cards you want to dedicate your sideboard to this Karn wishboard. Um, you don't want it to be 15 because you still need some spells to side in against your bad matchups. So usually the magic number is between 9 to 10 is how many artifacts you want to dedicate to this calm wishboard. Mm. I have about 9 in my board at the moment for Tron. That's just because I've got a couple of Veil of Summer, a couple of Wilts and like a Frag Tusk as well. Just to bring in some artifact hate and some life gain against my mm. bad matchups. When it comes to building your card sideboard... This is quite difficult because we're in an environment where we're not really playing much Paper Magic. So identifying what your sideboard should be in a local meta game is quite difficult at the moment. Mm -hmm. And in Magic Online, it's a lot more broad. You play against so many different kind of decks. So if you want to just build a generic Calm Wishboard, just try and hit all the notes. So you'd want something that does graveyard hate. So you'd want either like a Graftigus Cage and say like a Redica Progenitus or a Soul Guide Lantern. Or Tormod's Crypt's another good one because you can minus get the Tormod's Crypt and play it on the same turn, which is quite uh, useful to have against stuff like Dredge or whatever. Yeah. The big one that you want to add into this sideboard is a Liquid Metal Coating because yeah. it's essentially land destruction because it works really mm. well with Khan's ability. So that's a really good utility option to have. Then you want to start looking at what they call piffing needle effects. So you'd want a piffing needle and a sorcerer's spyglass. I run both yeah. in mine because I like having the option to deal with two threats. So it's really good against like mm-hmm. planeswalkers or anything that has a troublesome activate ability. Like if you're playing Eldrazi Tron, for example, you'd probably want just to run the sorcerer's spyglass because you have chalice of the void. And if you usually pay chalice on one, getting a piffing needle and then not being able to cast it is very, very awkward. So if you're playing yeah. Eldrazi Tron, I recommend just just putting a source of spyglass in. After then, you want to look at some board wipes. So ratchet bombs are really good one to go with. Engineered explosive 
while could be good, it's not very good in like Tron because you have one color <laughs> and it, Sunburst doesn't work really well with that. But in Amulet Titan, it's really, really good because you're a five color deck, so you can yeah. you can pay it for its complete cost and you know deal with whatever. Then you want to start looking at stuff that targets you. So we mentioned it earlier. So which Bane orbs are a really good one to go with? Mm. Um, if you are dealing with lots of burn, maybe mill to an extent as well, and like ad nauseum, they're like really, really good against that. It just stops their game plan because they have to target you. If your meta game is very creature aggressive, so there's lots of humans, lots of spirits, lots of like death and taxes, that kind of thing. And Tor Probs are a really good one because it just hoses any ETB from those creatures. It's mm. particularly good against stuff like spirits because they don't really run much creature removal, uh, <laughs> artifact removal, sorry. So they can't deal with it. And Ensnaring Bridge is another good one because, you know, if you unload your hand, they can't attack you. Gives you all this time to deploy a big threat. And then lastly... Mm. If you are running something like Ghost Court or Field of Ruin, Crucible Worlds is a really good option because it's a great mirror breaker against Tron. Um, yeah. That might be a good consideration. Deals with Field of the Dead, which is a bit of a nuisance as well. And lastly, if you are playing Tron, please do not put Damping Sphere in your sideboard because it's really, <laughs> really, really, really bad. And yeah, that's pretty much it. One I'm a fan of that I run in my sideboard is a Sundering Titan just to deal with all the greedy <laughs> greedy five-color Omnath and Uro decks at the moment. Yeah. And just being able to stone running someone for five has been beautiful yeah as someone that's main decking sundering titans in blue tron against them right now yeah sundering titan is very it's, good it's right very now. very good i will say if you are fortunate to play paper magic in a local environment first you're very very lucky secondly mm-hmm. i would just make a list of what your local meta game is so what people are playing and then break them down into archetypes so is one of them like spell heavy is one of them like land matters is one of them control is one of them aggro and mm. just group it all up and whatever's the biggest chunk you should dedicate most of your calm wish board to that thing so if there's lots yeah. of aggressive decks like humans you definitely want an ensnaring bridge if there's more graveyard decks i'd probably want to run like two pieces just to be sure mm. and then you can kind of compile it that way i will say also if there's a lot of combo spell dense decks then something like trinosphere mm. is absolutely fantastic and you just got to whittle it yeah. down that way because, yes, you can have a Calm Wish Pool, which can hit a lot of decks potentially. But if you're in a local meta game, you'd really want to, you know, be proactive and go, oh, you know, yes, there's Mill, so I want to run this Ixler Mortality to deal with Mill. Oh, you know, yeah. there's there's Dredge. I need this Graph Digger's Cage. Yep, that's it. It's, yeah, once once you actually just, like, write things out, it could be so easy to decide what you need to put in and how many of each thing. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a really good thing to do just for, for metagaming, your local environment. It's something I used to do quite a bit. So I'm going to tell a little story. So there was this one point when I was playing Eldrazi Tron. My metagame was very, very combo focused. So it was lots of scape shift, lots of ad nauseum and lots of storm, which is eh, not great. So <laughs> what I did, because Chalice of the Void was really, really sketch against these decks. It was really good against Storm, but that's about it because Scapeshift is like five mana, Ad Nauseum's five mana, and getting to five mana for the Chalice of the Void can be quite difficult. So what I did was I put the Chalice of the Voids in the sideboard and I ran uh, Eldrazi Mimic instead and became like a soft Eldrazi Stompy deck. Just became the aggressor because there was these deadly combo decks and by just, you know, writing a list of what people play regularly, I could identify that. So if you really want to start doing one in your metagame or you want to be more proactive, that's just a really good way to go about it and just be like, I know what to bring in against this person, I know what to bring in against this person, and so forth. 
Yep, 100%. And two things worth reiterating. First of all, just because we're mentioning like expensive cards here, like say Crucible of Worlds or that kind of thing, or Chalice of the Void, doesn't mean you have to run them in order to be successful either. Mm. You can absolutely, like we said, 100% make like a $100 Carnwish board, including all four Karn the Great Creators, and do great. Do really, really well. And the other thing is... Only add cards to the wish board that you're okay with casting after turn four for most of the time. Like, obviously, if you're getting Tron on turn three, you can go and play a card and get the wish board piece and then cast it potentially on that turn. That's fine. But other than that, you've got to be okay with casting these after turn four. So, like, if you have, say, like a bad matchup against like Storm or Tron, Damping Sphere isn't going to do a whole lot on turn four or five whenever you get to cast it. If you're in any normal deck, because, well, they've probably won by then. So it might be a good idea to put four Damping Sphere if you're particularly soft to these kinds of decks in the sideboard. And if you do get to Karn Wishboard for it in game one, happy days. You know, then that's there and it's, hel- it's helpful. But sometimes some of those uh, matchups where you might be particularly weak to them, you might just be better off removing all four Karn postboard and add the four Damping Sphere directly into the into the main deck then. Instead of having the current Wishboard for them, you'll get them on turn two instead. That is often a better choice if your deck is soft to these kinds of strategies in particular. And same goes for like graveyard decks. Like if you die to Dredge, but still want a current Wishboard, put four pieces of graveyard hate in your sideboard that can be gotten with the current the Great Creator anyway, but then postboard, just side them in. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Just because you're running the Khan Wishboard doesn't mean Khan cannot be sideboarded out. You can absolutely sideboard mm-hmm. it out, no problem at all. For sure. Like, you can board out one or two cards that are bad in the matchup, along with, say, like, two cards, and then just bring in all the hate pieces that you would rather just draw into than have to wait until turn five to play. Yeah. But yeah. That's pretty much it for artifacts. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's, there's quite a lot. Um, so one thing I didn't mention, like other $100 episodes we've done, I do have a $100 list of artifacts you can pick up that have their individual mm. prices as well. So you kind of have an idea on prices and you can kind of accommodate that to your budget because there's quite a lot there. I think we're done. I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com. You can follow us at the BMcast on Twitter, search for Budget Magicast on SoundCloud, and support us over at patreon.com forward slash budgetmagicast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.